the theme that was chosen, uh, or one of the passages that was uh, chosen to reflect the theme for Christian Council's anniversary this year is a passage in Colossians chapter 3 that has to, focus, has to do with forgiveness. And that's what we'll be talking about. But to introduce that, I want to turn to another passage in Matthew 6. This has to do with the prayer of Jesus that many people call uh, the Lord's Prayer, but of course it's probably best described as the Disciples' Prayer. In this prayer, Jesus adds an addendum to explain the reason for the requests he instructs them to make when they pray to him and to his Father. And that request is stated in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And this is what it says. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I want you to notice this. This is what Jesus is instructing his disciples, us, to pray. That we should forgive individuals who have sinned against us before we can expect him to forgive us. Now, as you go through this passage, it becomes quite clear that Jesus puts an extremely high premium on forgiveness in the life of his disciples. In fact, forgiveness of others is made to be the basis for God's forgiveness toward the sinning, the sinning disciple. And Jesus is teaching in this prayer that you cannot have one with the other or the other. In other words, you cannot expect God to forgive you if you don't forgive others. Now, sometimes we forget this. And we just think that regardless of our failure to forgive those who sinned against us, that we can go and ask God to forgive us and that we be forgiven. But based on the teaching of Jesus Christ himself, this is not so. Jesus says very clearly that fellowship with his Father and himself is based on your fellowship with your brothers and sisters. He clearly teaches this. Now, I want you to notice here, the text is very clear. One depends on the other. Now, I want you to take a look at the text. I have it out, and I'm going to go through it quickly because of time, but... I want you to see the text because I'm praying today that God will use the word to speak to us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now notice the reason given in verses 15 or 14 and 15. The reason is very clear. For if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And notice here now, here's the contrast, here's the condition. But if you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Do you see that? I didn't come up with that statement. Christian Counseling Center didn't come up with that statement. This is the word of God. If you do not forgive men, your father will not forgive your transgressions. Now think about that statement for a moment and about your own life and experience. 
and ask yourself this question, if this is true, have I been forgiven of the sins I've confessed to God personally? The answer depends upon this. Have you forgiven those who sinned against you? If your answer to that question is no, then the answer to the first question, whether God has forgiven you, is also no. Right? These are some serious words. If you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, if you look at this, you'll understand right away that forgiveness, therefore, must be very selfless, unselfish in his motivation and intention. Because when we ask God to forgive us, God forgives us on the basis of his love and his grace. Isn't that right? Not on our merits, but on his grace. That means when we give, when we forgive, our forgiveness must be based on the same thing. That's what this passage is all about in the passages in Colossians as well. Here is a principle. True forgiveness of others is forgiveness that mirrors or reflects our appreciation of God's forgiveness of our sins against him. Now take a look at that. This is important. True forgiveness of others is forgiveness that mirrors or reflects our appreciation of God's forgiveness of our sins against him. In other words, Jesus himself taught the one who is forgiven most loves the most. Isn't that right? The one who recognize the extent of his forgiveness is the one who is ready to forgive others no matter how they might harm them. That's the principle. And so I say again, this means that genuine forgiveness is completely selfless in its motivation and intention and is an evidence of our love. True forgiveness is an evidence of our love, not for ourselves, but for Jesus Christ and the person who has sinned against us. One is based on the other. And true forgiveness cannot have one without the other. In other words, you cannot say that you love God because he's forgiven you, but you do not love your brother and sister because you can't forgive them. You can't. If you take that position, then you do not appreciate the love God has for you, Jesus Christ has for you, because if you did, you realize that your sin against God is greater than any sin somebody could do against you. But I must make another point here. It's very important. And this is it. In this prayer for the disciples, Jesus is referring to requirements of forgiveness within the family, not requirements for getting into the family of God. In other words, this principle has nothing to do with getting saved, but rather with how we live the life after we've saved. In other words, my forgiving somebody for a sin is not dependent, my salvation is not dependent upon whether I forgive a brother or someone who sinned against me. I cannot get into heaven by saying that I forgave somebody for sinning against me, therefore... 
God should forgive me. It doesn't work that fashion. You understand what I'm saying? This only has to do with forgiveness within the family of God, not how to get into the family of God. Now, Jesus taught the same truth a little earlier in Matthew chapter 5, where the context was anger. Now, notice what he says in verse 23 in that passage. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, you remembering this now, not him, you leave your gift in front of that altar, First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. You see how important forgiveness is in the sight of God? He says, there's no use you coming to worship me when there's unforgiveness in your life. Because I'm not going to receive your worship. You could sing loud, you could cry tears all you like. But if you don't meet this condition first of making sure that your relationship with your brother and sister is correct, I'm not listening to you. I'm not receiving your worship. I'm not receiving your praise. I don't care how sincere you may be in your worship. Now, the Apostle Paul learned this lesson quite well from Jesus and his teaching. And because uh, I believe that the Apostle Paul had real special teachings from Jesus Christ himself. But he learned it well. And it reflects... It is reflected in the passage that the Christian Counseling Center has, has chosen as its theme. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. I want to read that to you, but look at these principles first. Fellowship with God the Father is dependent upon an ongoing fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And the mutual granting and receiving of forgiveness are essential, ongoing aspects of this relationship. Let me try to spell this out. It's impossible for us to have an ongoing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ unless we are forgiving on an ongoing basis those who have sinned against us. This idea of forgiving those who have sinned against us must be a regular part of our lifestyle if we're going to maintain a close relationship with God. Why? Because if we do not forgive our brothers and sisters who sin against us, Jesus Christ will not forgive us our sins. And if our sins are not forgiven, we cannot have a close relationship with God. It's simple as that. So this is a very important principle we're looking at here today. And that's why we must understand what forgiveness is. I think many of us still do not really understand the biblical teaching of forgiveness. And that's what we'll be looking at. This is a high standard. Listen. Colossians 3. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What a fantastic passage of scripture this is. This is a wonderful passage of scripture dealing with the Christian life. Now this is a high standard to forgive the way Christ forgave us. But yet it is our standard as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to forgive as Christ forgave us. Now think about that. How did Christ forgive us? How does he forgive us? Well actually Paul tells us in this passage, how he forgives us. Let's look at it. 
This is why I like to love the word of God, because it explains itself. Notice, and so as those who are being chosen of God, set apart and beloved by God. That's our position in Christ. We've been set apart by God. We've been chosen by God. We belong to Him. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying we must understand, first of all, our position in Jesus Christ. If we're going to be able to forgive the way Jesus is. We must understand who we are in Him. And now, he says, put on. He tells us now what we are to do in order to reflect Christ's likeness. You see, because we are in Christ, we belong to Him, we are Christ-like ones. Now, he said, you must put on attitudes, characteristics that reflect Christ's likeness. Put it on. That's a command. If you don't do it, it's sin. Simple as that. Put them on. Now, put on what? A heart of compassion. If we want to be like Christ in order to forgive like Him, we must have a heart of compassion. Be compassionate towards one another. Not the idea, oh boy, he hurt me so bad, I don't want to see him no more in my life. I don't want him around this place. No way. Mm -mm. He deserves everything he's going to get. No. A heart of compassion. That's what Jesus Christ showed. When we are compassionate, we show Christ's likeness. But secondly, kindness. Be kind to one another. Not harsh in our words. Not cruel in our words towards one another. Especially the person who sinned against us. Now, was Jesus Christ kind towards us when he forgave us? You bet your life. He didn't turn his back on us. He didn't say, oh, no, no, you don't deserve my forgiveness. No, no. Kindness. Christ-likeness. Then he says, humility. Be humble toward others. Now, was Jesus Christ humble towards us when he forgave us? You bet your life. This one who did not uh, consider a thing to be grasped after, to be equal like God, he what? He emptied himself. He, he, he humbled himself, becoming like a man, taking on the form, the characteristics of a man, the nature of a man. He became obedient even to the death of the cross. Did he humble himself in order for us to be forgiven? You bet your life. And the reason why many of us don't forgive those who sinned against us is because of our pride. Pride keeps us from forgiving. But something else. Based on these characteristics of virtues now, while we are manifesting different gentleness, be gentle towards one another. What a good, good word that is. Not harsh and arrogant and vengeful. But gentle, notice this now, patient. Be patient with and toward one another. If Jesus Christ was impatient towards us, you think he'll ever forgive us? I mean, some of us go to him every day asking to forgive us for the same sin. But he forgives, doesn't he? He's patient with us. Now he says, with this attitude, with these virtues on, Notice what he says in x-rays, bearing with one another. That's what we call in Bible study an I-N-G word. In other words, this is what is going on the same time I am humble, I'm kind, I'm compassionate, all of This is what I'm doing. These virtues enable me to bear with one another. What do you mean bear one another? Put up with one another. How many times have you heard of man, I can't put up with that boy. I can't put up with that woman. You've been doing it all. I just can't put up with that. I can't put up, put up, right? That's because you don't have those other virtues, Christ-likeness, patience, kindness, compassion, 
and all of those. You need those virtues to be able to bear one another, to put up with one another. You don't reject the person when he or she sins. You receive that person and you work with that person, you see. One of the reasons why we lose so many of people who go astray, who sin, or as Paul used the word backslidden, person don't like that word, but you know what the word is. It's because we can't put up with them. You see, we can't bear with them. And so what do they do? They go look for somebody or people who can put up with them, who can bear with them. Unfortunately, many times, the kind of people who live in the same backslidden position as they are. You see, bearing with one another. Now, here it is. Forgiving each other. This forgiving each other can only take place if we put on these characteristics, these virtues that enable us to bear with one another, then we are in the position to forgive. Notice, it's mutual. Forgiving each other. You sin against me, I forgive you. I sin against you, you forgive me. See? But now we're going to see there's something else involved in that. But forgiving each other. But now in this case, it is something that is quite specific. Notice what it says. Whoever has a complaint against you. Whoever has a complaint against you. Forgive whoever has a complaint against you. Hmm. Boy. I was thinking about this. And I said, I got a big task in front of me. Whoever. You ever say, whoever will may come? Well, here's one. Whoever has something against you, you better be willing to forgive. No matter where it is, who it is, how it came about. You see, this isn't a general overall forgiveness in this passage. This has to do with a specific. Somebody's got a problem with you. Now, in the context and the meaning of forgiveness, you can see this has to do with sin. Not just a bias or a little complaint. We'll see that later. But this has to do with something that has involved sin. This has to do specifically with someone who has a problem with you. Now he gives us the standard. Notice what he says. Just as the Lord forgive you, so should you also forgive that person or those person who has a complaint against you. That's quite a standard, isn't it? Think about it now. Jesus Christ's forgiveness of us is the standards by which we have to measure our own forgiveness towards others. Now, how did Jesus forgive us? Well, looking at the passage we've already seen, he forgave us compassionately, kindly, humbly, gently, patiently, putting up at our failures and our foolishness and our frailty. And even when we are at odds with him, he still forgives us. That's how we are to forgive those who have sinned against us. My, 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 my friends, it is possible it's possible for us to do this. You say, no, it isn't. I could never forgive the way Jesus... Well, then, Jesus is giving us an impossible task because he's commanding us to do it. And he never commands us to do something he does not enable us to do. He enables us to do it. Now, 
Let's go on here a moment. It says, and beyond all these things. Beyond what? Compassion, kindness, putting up with things. Beyond all these things, put on love. Now, what does it mean beyond all these things? It means top priority. It means in order for all of these other things to be reflected, you've got to put this on. And that's love. It is the perfect bond of unity. Love is the wellspring, the source, the motivation of forgiveness. Love for God and love for his children. The first result or evidence of genuine forgiveness, Paul says here, is unity, reconciliation, fellowship. Paul says this unity is perfectly bonded together, held together by love. Love which is manifested in the spirit and activity of forgiveness. Why is it that so many homes are fractured and people are not speaking to one another? It's because of lack of love. And because of lack of love, there's no lack of forgiveness. There is lack of forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. There's no bearing with one another. There's no compassion. There's no kindness. Because of a lack of love. What is love? Love is that action on my part that seeks only the welfare of the person being loved. Not me, but the other person. We'll see how that plays into to it in a moment. Now, another result of forgiveness and love being demonstrated in this passage, Paul says, is uh, thankfulness. Thankfulness. The peace of God and thankfulness. These are the, look at the passage. You'll see related there in those passage, in that passage. Unity, um, thankfulness and peace. These are the three things that result from our for our demonstrating love to others. Unity, peace, and thankfulness. But you have no forgiveness, those things are not there. But you have no love, those things are not there. Now the word forgive has two basic meaning in the New Testament. To let go or to cancel a debt. It's important for us to understand the meaning of forgive. To let go or to cancel a debt. And so to forgive means two things then. First, to remit a debt and to pay a debt. Literally, it reads, or the meaning is, to remit a debt by paying it yourself. It's the same word for both. Remit a debt, but paying it yourself. Now see, this is the part of forgiveness we don't like. This is why I believe most of us don't forgive. We do other things, but we don't forgive. It's impossible for us to forgive without, bear, or without paying the debt owed to us ourselves. No one else can pay it. 
only the one who sinned against. Now, this is very important when we talk about the biblical perspective of love. Genuine biblical forgiveness always contains the essential element of bearing the penalty of the offense being forgiven. Because forgiveness always carries that at its core meaning, taking the debt yourself, settling the debt yourself. We had a beautiful illustration of this principle at a church some years ago. We had a mortgage on the Christian Counseling Center property. After the person died, who we had the mortgage out with, uh, uh, the heir took over. Shortly thereafter, we received in the office a big brown envelope, and I opened it. It was a document, and written across in red letters, I believe it was the word, in quotes, forgiven. Now, did that mean that we had sinned against that person? No. It means now that they had released us from the further mortgage that we owed. And they were paying the rest themselves. And so the word was written across, forgiven, meaning paid in full by myself. That's what it meant. That person took that debt and settled it themselves. They took the loss, if you want, because we didn't pay them any cash. But we had the property in our name, free and clear. And so here's my personal definition of forgiveness based, I believe, on the biblical teaching. It is this. Forgiveness, forgiveness means to remit a debt by paying it yourself without any idea or demand for repayment in the future in any way whatsoever. Do you get it? When we forgive somebody, we're remitting every debt that they might have towards us, every pain, every hurt, everything they've done against us, and we are taking it ourselves. Somebody got to pay it. Look at it carefully. Forgiveness means to remit a debt by paying it yourself without any idea or demand for repayment in the future in any way whatsoever. That's the biblical perspective, definition of forgiveness. That's how Christ forgave us. That's how we are to forgive others. He could only forgive because he paid the penalty for our sin. Are you getting this? This is important. Jesus could forgive us because he took the penalty of our sin upon himself. Isn't that right? He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And never again, for those who accept Jesus Christ, will we have to fear judgment. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid it. We never have to fear judgment again, because Jesus Christ paid it for me paid it for you. All you have to do is receive that by faith. This is true in the spiritual realm also. 
The forgiver takes upon him or herself the debt owed by the forgivee. And I believe that the major reason why genuine forgiveness is so rare among believers is because it costs the forgiver more than it costs the one being forgiven. And we don't want that. Why? Because we want revenge. We want to see that person does something. We call it, we want to see justice. But listen carefully now. When it comes to forgiveness, we have no concern with justice. Justice is left up to God. See, this concept of this built-in idea that someone has wronged us, they must pay for it in some way. That concept is completely foreign to biblical forgiveness. Let me give you some of the characteristics very quickly and reasons of why genuine forgiveness is so rare among Christians. First, Forgiveness is not merely an attitude or a disposition. You ever hear something about, I have a disposition to forgive. I have an attitude to forgive. That's not good enough from a biblical perspective. Now, when you talk about some psychologists, that's all they want, a disposition, attitude to forgive. But not scripture. In scripture, forgiveness is an act of the will, a volitional choice. It's a decision to remove barriers to oneness, unity, and full acceptance of the one forgiven. It is a choice to obey the word of God. It is not something we merely think about, but something we actually, objectively do. It's a decision to forgive, which opens the doorway to new life of love, hope, and growth. It's something we do objectively, and we choose to do it. It's not just an idea, an attitude, or a disposition. It has to be an action if it's really going to be biblical forgiveness. But secondly, it's not forgetting. You know, you say, yeah, I forgive and forget. That's nonsense. We actually remember everything that happens to us. It's somewhere there. The problem has to do with our method of retrieval as to whether it's forgiveness or not when it comes to remembrance. There are two kinds of remembering in this regard. First is emotional recall. It brings back past pain, hurt, resentment, and anger. This is not forgiveness. When you think of that action that was done and you're angry, you're mad and, and, and whatnot, and you say, well, yeah, I, 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 I forgive that person, but I still feel that pain and that hurt. That is not forgiveness. He said, how in the world can you think about something without having the emotion and the pain that comes with it? But Jesus does it. That's how he forgave us. And we can explain that in a moment. That's emotional recall. Then there's what is called historical recall. It's a past event which is recalled as fact without emotional impact. This is genuine forgiveness. This is when we choose not to feel pain. Oh, you say, man, that's crazy. How can you choose not to feel? You can. Does Jesus forget our sins? No. He chooses not to remember them. You say, what's the difference? The difference is, there's no pain, there's no anger, there's no desire for revenge. It's no longer there. You see, that's what he's talking about here. 
in this, in this fact. God does not forget our sins. He simply chooses not to remember them anymore. Meaning that he doesn't bring it up against us anymore. He doesn't bring it up against us anymore. That's what it means. But thirdly, it's not pretending that nothing happened. You know, if something hurts you, somebody has really sinned against you. Oh, that's not that big a deal. But you're hurting and you're paining inside. Forgiveness actually acknowledges that something has happened. But it means also deciding not to allow it to cause present pain, hurt, or alienation. We don't just simply say, I'll just let it go. When it comes to either us sinning against someone or someone sinning against us, that's not forgiveness. That's excusing. And when it comes to sin, which brings unity, when it comes to sin, Unity and peace and thankfulness can only occur if we acknowledge that something has happened. That's the only way it can happen. We have to you just can't excuse it when it comes to sin. Excusing is not the same thing as forgiveness. I'll explain that more as we go on. Number four, well here it is. It is not simply excusing a wrong done if it's sin. Excusing applies to less serious irritations or hurt feelings due to one's bias or personal preferences. Forgiveness always involves confrontation and confession. There can be no, con- con- there can be no confession unless there's... Con- there can be no forgiveness unless there's a confrontation of the sin. And there can be no forgiveness unless there is confession. Oh, somebody said, no, I believe in unconditional forgiveness. Well, I'll have to say, you've got to show me in the Bible, anywhere, anything is taught about unconditional forgiveness. Unconditional pardoning, but not unconditional forgiveness. And we'll show you the difference in that in a moment. Because confession and forgiveness has to do with sin. And when you get right down to it, there's only one person who can forgive sin. Isn't that right? That's God. We can talk about that now. But you see, it's possible for us to let go consequences, but not for us to say that your sin is okay. That cannot be done. I'll show what I mean in a moment. It's not simply pardoning someone for a wrong done. Pardoning simply releases the person from punishment. Guilt still needs to be dealt with. See the difference? I can say, all right, I know you did me harm. I know you sinned against me. I'm not going to let the consequences be a bother to me. That's the consequence. That's pardoning. But there's still guilt. And that person cannot be cleansed from that guilt, either by God or by the person they sinned against, unless confession is made. That's why a lot of people who say they forgive actually pardon. Because they're dealing with the consequences, not with the sin. And you must see that. It's very important. There's a difference between forgiveness and pardoning. That's why we must always realize that in the final analysis, sin is first and foremost against God. And in fact, he and he alone can actually forgive sin. We can't forgive anybody's sin. You know that, eh? Our forgiveness, when done correctly, simply reflects what God has already done. You see, we dare not forgive anybody who God hasn't forgiven. 
That's why pardoning and forgiveness must be seen as two distinct things. When we forgive a person who confesses his sin, we're simply reflecting what God has already done in our life. And we're affirming it that it has been done. Forgiving is not the same as accepting and understanding. You know that. Yeah, I understand. I understand why you steal all this money from me. I know you were broke and all that. I understand that. And I, you know, I accept that. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is reserved for acts which are not acceptable and not justifiable because they involve sin. Forgiveness always involves sin from a biblical perspective. And to be forgiven, it must be acknowledged, it must be confessed, if it is to be forgiven. Seven. Well, let me explain this first. This is why I don't believe there's any such thing as unconditional forgiveness. Forgiveness is based on confession of sin. And that confession usually only comes after confrontation, either by man or God. You'll hardly find anyone who will confess their sin unless they're being confronted by the Holy Spirit or someone who's come and says, you are the man. I therefore assume that if someone asks my forgiveness for an offense, or if I ask forgiveness of someone I have sinned against, that I or we have already asked forgiveness of God, or at least presume that we will do so. Otherwise, our forgiveness doesn't mean a thing to that person. Because our forgiveness must reflect the forgiveness of Jesus Christ or God himself. Pardon, yes. Excusing, yes. But not forgiving. This makes God to be God. Only God can forgive sin. Doesn't the Bible say that? We have a church who teaches that they can forgive sin. But the Bible says only God can forgive sin. Seven. Forgiveness is never again bringing up the past in a negative way against the one forgiven. All debt has been canceled. The person owes you nothing. Now that's a hard one, isn't it? But that's biblical forgiveness. Quickly, eight. It is not demanding change before we forgive. Demanding some form of penance. I ain't going to forgive you unless I can see you do something for me first. Or to show that you're repented. That's not the way Jesus forgave us. And he's our standard. Oh yes, those things might come afterward, but not before. Cannot be a requirement for forgiveness. It might be a result of forgiveness, but not a requirement. Because it's based on grace. It's based, forgiveness is based on love. Not law. Nine, it is not demanding a guarantee that it wouldn't happen again before we forgive. Upon repentance, that is, in the context, acknowledgement of sin and asking of forgiveness is to be granted. That's the standard laid down by Jesus Christ himself. If a brother comes to you 70 times during the day and repents, what does Jesus say? Forgive. That's hard. Genuine forgiveness is risk-taking. It could happen again. You see, that's why you want proof before we forgive many cases, because that won't happen again. You can't demand that for forgiveness. If Jesus Christ forgave you on the basis that, uh, that, that, that I'm not going to do it again, I don't think we'll ever be forgiven. Eleven, genuine forgiveness repudiates revenge or retaliation. No revenge, no retaliation. You see, it's at this point, when we come to this point, 
That we do not want revenge, we do not want retaliation, we don't want to pound the flesh. That's where, when, and how God's gift of inner peace pervades our heart. That's when we release the one who has sinned against us from all consequences of that sin toward us. He or she may have to pay for it, for this sin by the law and somebody else. But as far as we're concerned, we have released them completely from all of that. Anything that is owed to us, it's gone. We've eliminated it. See, God takes care of the justice aspect. We handle the compassion, the kindness, and the love, and the bearing aspect. That's forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness does not allow the one forgiven to pay. We accept the debt as ours. Payback cannot coexist with forgiveness. The one cancels out the other. If we ever demand that this person do something back for us because we've forgiven them, it's not forgiveness. We take the loss completely. Now, yes, what that person does as their own means of trying to serve recompense and so on, that's a whole different story. But we don't demand it. We cannot. See, there's a sense in which all sin is against God. Only God can forgive that. But on the basis of our experience of the forgiveness of God, we are extend that forgiveness to others who sin against us. We cannot accept responsibility for their sin against God. He has done that himself. However, we choose to forgive another person. There's always some sense in which we are accepting the responsibility of, of the consequences for those sins. Not the guilt but the consequences. That is why forgiveness always has a cost to go with it. I have to pay the debt myself. That's forgiveness. Quickly. 13. Genuine forgiveness involves giving up our rights and even not defending ourselves. And no one hurts. But that's how Jesus Christ forgave us. Self-vindication is not the goal of forgiveness. Reconciliation is, even as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, if we are defrauded, in other words, we suffer loss if we have to. And forgiveness, you always suffer the loss. You pay the debt yourself. Genuine forgiveness in all involves suffering. Christ is our example in 1 Peter. It's impossible to have genuine forgiveness without some suffering on our part because we're taking the blows. We're taking the pain. Fifteen, genuine forgiveness is hard because it costs. It costs the forgiver more than the one forgiven. And he said, don't set right with us. Somebody do me wrong, you should pay, not me. But forgiveness says, I'm going to pay, not you. Sixteen, genuine forgiveness changes our thinking. It renews our mind. We think differently about the one forgiven and about the past and the future. Whereas we had eliminated that person, now he's back in there. She's back in there now. Now I know there's a lot of things got to go with reconciliation and all of that. But basically this is the principle. Genuine forgiveness changes our behavior. That's what we read here in Ephesians 4 as well as Colossians 3. To forgive is to say goodbye forever to the pain of the past and to be rid of its effects in the future. See, this is when a passage that we've just read in Colossians 4 comes to reality. This reconciliation, this unity, this peace, the peace of God that pervades our souls. 
then there's the spirit of thankfulness that can only come if you're willing to forgive the way Christ forgave. He enables us to do this. Without him, it's impossible. Expressing or granting forgiveness is difficult. And it's difficult because it's Christ-like. And being Christ-like, biblically, is very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. It's possible because we have Christ himself to help us. Our ability to forgive in actuality is a gift from God. It's a divine gift. It's God's grace gift to us, the ability to forgive. God grants this gift to us so we can manifest his heart toward the one who has sinned against us and against himself. He demonstrates, as it says, the Holy Spirit shows his love through us in forgiveness. But listen now. The granting of forgiveness but also the granting of forgiveness to those who have sinned against us is the basis for our being forgiven by God. And being forgiven by God is the basis for our ongoing fellowship with Him. And our ongoing fellowship with Him is the basis for our worship and service being accepted by Him. That means that our willingness to forgive is essential to spiritual growth. That means that our willingness to forgive the way Christ forgave is essential to intimacy with God. Listen carefully now. The granting of forgiveness to those who have sinned against us is the basis for our being forgiven by God. And being forgiven by God is the basis for our ongoing fellowship with Him. And our ongoing fellowship with Him is the basis for our worship and service being accepted by Him. That means unless we are forgiving the way Christ gives, all our singing, all our praise, all our service, all our worship goes down as far as spiritual benefits are concerned as being null and void. Useless. Spinning the wheels. Jesus realized that truly forgiving another person, although it was difficult, it's actually impossible apart from his empowerment. And that's why he teaches us in that prayer to pray for the enablement, uh, to forgive as we have forgiven. It's a prayer we must make. Lord, enable me to forgive as I have been forgiven. Jesus says you've got to pray that. Why? Because he knew that we can't do this on our own. We have to pray to him for the strength and ability to do so. That's the end. I rushed through it very quickly. But let me say this as we close. If you're here and you've never experienced the initial forgiveness of God through Christ Jesus because you've never placed your faith and trust in his person, his death and his resurrection, we invite you to do that today. This is where a life of unity, of peace, and happiness begins. By experiencing the forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ when you place faith in him as your personal savior. We trust that you will do that. And for those of us who are Christians, I trust that you will pray the prayer that Jesus Christ himself asked us to pray. Lord, help us to forgive even as we have been forgiven. Thank you.